This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with Derek from Malden, got to take care of a little bit of business. You know how it is. Guys, you're making things. You're making knives. You're making hammers. You're making wood. You're using wood. You're using steel. Doesn't matter. You got to coat it with something. Why not use Axwax? Axwax.us. It's a completely food safe wax. It's great for your handles, for your hammers, for your knives. I use it for steel, for all my stainless, uh, all my uh, carbon steel, my Damascus, all my wood handles, I, all my forging hammers, I coat it with Axwax. And it's great. It's all natural, food safe. And if you go to Axwax.us, Put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order, which is great. And if you're in the UK, you go to UKKnifemakersupplies.com and Toby will take care of FULLBLAST10, give you 10% off. If you're in Australia, NordicEdge.com.au, he's going to take care of you with FULLBLAST10 for your Axe Wax. And if you're in the EU, KnifeMaterials.at is nice enough to take FULLBLAST10 to give you 10% off your Axe Wax. What's better than that? All right, I got bad news for you guys. The bad news is, is some of you guys have your your websites suck, and I'm sorry. And it, I, but at the same time, I'm not sorry because I think we can fix it. And what I think you need to do is you might need some fresh eyes. If you go to akinteractive.com/slash/fullblast and you fill out the paperwork, Andreas Kalani can consult with you. He can say, yeah, maybe this looks better, maybe that works better. He's a maker who makes stuff and he also makes websites he's made beautiful websites for charlie lionheart and others he does a great job and what he'll do is he'll either fix your current website or he'll make you a new website or he'll fix your logo he'll make you a logo he'll any kind of graphics you need if you're going to do the blade show or a convention and you need a tabletop done andreas Kalani will take it care of you akinteractive.com slash full blast the hyperlink is in the show notes and here's what i have to say is I think that you you really need to be spending less time with a lot of these people who are asking you questions in the DMs. The DMs is a dirty place. Don't work in the DMs because it's a lot of them are tire kickers. A lot of them are people who are just looking for a friendship. And I think you have enough friends, okay? Listen to me. So go to akinteractive.com slash full blast. Get yourself a new website. Figure it out. I'm with you. And the last thing I have to tell you is the Center for Mental Arts has got classes open. And I just found out my class, which is the last week of March, the last weekend of March, a slot opened up. It's for my friction folder class. We're going to be forging friction folders, and they're going to be great. And it's going to be fun. You're going to have a great time. Pat Quinn and the guys do a beautiful job at the Center for Mental Arts. It's just one of the greatest places. They have awesome classes with some of the best of the best and me, the worst of the best. I'm just kidding. Obviously, I can, I'm going to bring it. Don't worry. It'll be my class and be a lot of fun. That's all I have to say. We're going to have a great time. You're going to walk out of there with a friction folder. And then uh, I also have classes in the fall. But if you go check out the Center for Mental Arts, you, there's a, a hyperlink in the show notes. You can see all the classes they have. You can make their slingshot, forging slingshots and, and chef knives and, and, and forge traditional blacksmithing. It's just, you guys, you've, you've done enough YouTube. You've done enough YouTube. You need to get some real education, and the Center for Mental Arts is the best. So go check them out, and go fill my last slot up. I got a feeling I'm probably going to do a live podcast down there with Pat. We'll see. Okay, Center for Mental Arts, the best of the best, and I am the worst of the best. Fine. Okay, 
I'm, I've been waiting for this day for such a long time. <laughs> My guest, Derek from Malden, is one of the most unique and kind and generous and funny guys I know. I'm so glad to know this guy. He's the guy I get a nice phone call from in the early in the morning. And we have a nice conversation. He's on a new Netflix show, Making Fun. It's on starting March 4th. It's going to mm-hmm. be a beautiful Netflix series with a lot of makers that you know. Derek from Alden, how are you? Oh, man, what an introduction. Wow. I'm exhausted listening to you. That's Dude. A lot, that's a lot of work. See, listen, you're also on the, the Handmade Podcast, which I listen to all the time. <laughs> and I know Chris does a good job. He doesn't give No, you... but man, wow, you just belted that out. I may have to jump ship. I, you know let's, what? I tell you what. Duo. I tell you what, what I tell you what, I, I actually I am having dinner with Chris this week. Chris is okay. such a good guy. I, Chris Chris you guys I one thing about you, Chris and Paul, Paul Pinto, is you have a incredible chemistry. Mm. Like the hardest part about podcasting, if you don't listen to the handmade podcast, shame on you. It's on the Makery Network <laughs> as well. Um, Chris uh, Chris Zepp, Paul Pinto and Derek from Alden have this incredible chemistry. You guys like like talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, we do. It it's amazing, you know. I've known Chris for, geez, I don't, I don't know, five years now, and um, we hit it off right from the beginning. And same with Paul. It's funny when I met Paul, I I think he was still elite, not even legal age at that point. I didn't realize. I thought it was like an old guy. I was talking to him through YouTube, I think. But when I met Chris, we would talk, and we still do. Like I will, I told him the other day. I said it's probably. The most fun I have talking on the phone with somebody, like like two old ladies. We'll talk for no lie two hours straight on the phone. Like he'll be driving because what we used to do was he'd be driving to New Jersey. This was pre-COVID and he'd be in traffic for two hours and I'd be driving into Boston. We'd have nothing to do. So we just talk the whole way, you know, and um, he's just such a smart guy. He has so much information. He's so positive. It's just he's just a joy to talk to. And I'm lucky to have him as a friend. But um it's funny with the podcast, it's like, you know, every week we're like, man, we got to get a um, like a subject we want to talk about. And then now we were all so busy, we just kind of catch up. It's kind of our time to catch up. We used to do like um, like a three-way call sometimes and we would shoot the shit. And that's kind of what the podcast turned into, unfortunately. But, you know, well, we get to he, catch up. You know, the podcasting is so interesting because it has really transformed it like it made a few different evolutions, and the biggest evolution probably was at the beginning of the the pandemic, because mm. all of a sudden people had time on their hands, and they thought I can do this. So like I remember when Craig, I tried to get, I was on a podcast, I was on the downward spiral with my friend Nico like twelve years ago, something like that, mm-hmm. and I have him on every so often on this podcast, which is my favorite, and you know we did it in the early days, and it was really like. It was people didn't know how to get them. You know, people were just mm-hmm. like, we had a website and you could just listen through it through the website. It was kind of hard to download it and it went on your iPhone, iPads, or at the time it was like on your, you know, yeah. whatever your fucking thing, whatever. What was it before the iPhone? What was it? What was it just the uh, it was iPod? iPod. It was your yeah, iPod. iPod. Yeah. So, uh, so then when I got on, when we got on a knife talk and we, I started to say, you know, the three person podcast is great. And knife talk is great, and it's fun, and people you get the you get the the relationships between the people, and you get the you get the chemistry between the people. And what happened was, is after the pandemic, before the pandemic, I've been pushing Craig to 
produce this podcast, the Full Blast podcast forever. Mm-hmm. And then I finally convinced him to do the Makery Network and kind of get everybody involved. And you guys do the on the Makery. Yeah. And in the beginning, the numbers were, I was, we were, you and I were talking about this before. The numbers yeah. were really good in the beginning. But then so many people started podcasts that like all of our number, like downloads are higher now than they ever were. Yeah. Or the listens. But compared to the ranking in the beginning, my, my, I was in the, like the top 10 every week, you know, and, yeah. and it's like, I can't, cr- you know, and for some reason, my, I have more listens now than I, I ever did in the beginning. So podcasting has turned into this really kind of like, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. But what is funny that you say that, you know, you guys just shoot the shit. I, unfortunately, I think people think real, people want to he- be kept company and yeah. they like natural conversations. I don't think you need to have like a direction. Yeah, no, I, I get so many nice messages from people, and I enjoy, like, the messages. It's getting a little bit more difficult, you know, when I had a real small following. I I always feel like if somebody's going to message me, I have to acknowledge it, because if they're going to take the time out of their day, I owe it to them. And it's getting a little bit difficult sometimes, but I'll stay up till 2.30 in the morning replying back to people. But you know, people just enjoy it. They they do. And it's I just feel funny about it sometimes. And, you know, but people do enjoy listening to, you know, what we don't have to say, you know, but uh, but it's usually it good. Fun. Yeah, it's usually. I mean, you guys are honestly, you know, each other, you know what each yeah. other's doing. Yeah. And you're actually interested in in all your the things that you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think like the, the good dynamic is Chris has like this memory that he knows so much about so many different things. You know, I, I just remember one time we were talking about screws and not screwing, just screws. And like, he was telling me something about them and then the different metals we were talking about. And it was like, it, it's funny because like some of the stuff, like you don't know, like it, it kind of demystifies it, but he just has, he's so into everything like he knows model numbers of tools and you know certain features of certain model numbers and then uh he's just so into everything he's into so he's always interesting and he has such a strange job that you know he doesn't get into too much of it in the podcast but when we talk privately he does you know it's kind of like one of those jobs like you can't apply for that job. Like right. that job doesn't apply any. You don't apply somewhere for his job. It just kind of falls on your lap. He's the right and, guy. They yeah, found the right and, guy. Yeah, and it's such a strange job, and um, it's just cool to hear you know what he's doing day to day because it's not the same thing every day, you know. And um, and and with Paul, it's exciting because you know he's a young kid, and I mean he's is younger than my. Well, he's a little bit older than my youngest kid, but he's just about the same age as my youngest. And um, but he's such a driven kid, and um, he has a ton of knowledge. And yeah. what he doesn't know, he acts like he knows, which is fun <laughs> sometimes. But it's um, but no, he he does, and he has such a great work ethic that it's just funny to listen to him. You know, he's bitching about you know working all these hours, and I'm like saying to myself, you know, try doing it when you're 50, dude. You know, it's like that's life. You know, life isn't you know just like it is in the movies. You know, but he's a hard worker, and uh, you know, he has a, a a unique job too you know he's up on you know buildings you know putting up steel and you know it's just it's interesting so i i just enjoy talking to both of them you know i'm amazed that the both both of them have as much information at such young ages as they do yeah it is both of them i actually talked to i kind of facetime with the two of them about we were talking about something 
Mm-hmm. And it is stunning to me that Paul is as he is so well aware of building codes and yeah. you know welding. We were talking about you know I did a, I mean my former jobs we were doing kind of construction stuff. So like I don't pretend I don't I have a shitty memory so I can't remember like. People ask me model numbers, and so I have no idea. Like, yeah. I legitimately, like, and it's not even no idea. I don't even care. Like, yeah. that was, when I was a kid, it was like, to me, it was less about the tool and more about what you made. Like, mm-hmm. what you made. And yeah. actually, funny enough, when I started the, at the Center for Metal Arts, we weren't really making our own tools. We, we had all the hammers were, Hoff, or, were Uri Hoffi hammers. The tongs were all Uri Hoffi tongs. And we weren't really making anything. We weren't making our tools. And I just remember ha- still having the same mental you know, uh, mindset of like, I didn't have an appreciation for the tools because it was far more interesting to me what was being made. And mm-hmm. then, so I didn't yeah. have a memory of what anything was. Well, I wish really was on a live talk. We were talking about the power hammers we used to use. And I forgot then, you know, I remember we were, we had a same act hammer and then I couldn't remember the other one. I still can't remember the other one. And, yeah. and it's, I don't, I just don't have that in me, you know? Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I don't really care about a lot of stuff like that. And it just, it doesn't interest me. And if it doesn't interest me, it just goes in one ear and out the other. But yeah, Paul, it, it just like, he knows a lot about like, boring stuff you know like just stuff that a kid his age should not know you know and that's always amazes me and sometimes i talk to him and i'm like i don't even if he knows if he knows what he knows he's talking about but he says it so well that he has me convinced that he does you know because he just like i i don't understand how like he like you said he knows the codes he knows like the types of metals and you know some people say oh well he has a detailer that does this and does that like you know when i was 21 i didn't know what a detailer even was like so you know like so he's picking up this stuff he's he's getting shit done and he, he man he just been killing it we used to talk all the time we hardly ever talk other than the podcast maybe once a week but he's just busy working all the time and it's just like, you know, and uh, I, but he does, he just has a ton of information, you know, and um, it's just funny. We were talking the other day and he was talking about knives and how he kind of went through that phase and, you know, now he's doing this and that. And uh, it just, I don't know, it's just fun to have him as a friend because, you know, then he goes out with his friends and does things that young kids do. So it's, it's, you know, it's a nice combination. I think that there is, I've always been interested in the different types of makers Mm -hmm. and there's one type of maker. It's about what they're making and the other type of maker, it's about the tools, you know, and you can almost like kind of go down the line with them all. Like there's one that their focus is on the tools. And like, I don't remember, I actually recently, uh, I'm making, uh, actually that we're recording on Saturday and Sunday, my family's away. So Sunday I'm going to be forging two hammers out. So yeah. all week, every so often, I was doing a little bit of repair work on my tire hammer, and I fixed my dies. I rewelded my dies up, and I fixed you know some parts on the on the machine just to get make sure that when Sunday comes around, everything's you know ready to go. I sharpened the chisels and prepared everything. And I thought to myself, I don't do this very often. I don't I don't repair. I don't do repairs. I don't do fixing up. I don't give my machines love. I don't you know every so often I'll change something on a belt grinder or something like that. But like there are certain people who are like. They really love to main the maintenance is just part of the love of the making. It's like yeah, it's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. When I um, I always well, I've had a had a motorcycle for years. I don't have one now just because 
I'm getting too old, and I just figured if I didn't have one, I wouldn't die on one. So right. I got rid of it. But um, I used to just enjoy cleaning and washing and detailing my motorcycle, you know, before a ride, after a ride. And I loved riding it, but it was like I loved the physical being of it, you know. But um, I'm the same way with my tools. Like, I get ripped all the time, you know, because I'm pouring epoxy on my CNC table or, you know, like my saw stop but the thing was four thousand dollars it has paint all over it and stuff and my attitude is like i not that i don't care about it i mean i don't think paint on it's going to stop the blade from not stopping but i'm like when this thing goes like my kids are going to have to worry about the value of it not me you know i'll be dead so i just kind of like i'm going to do what i want to do to enjoy my life and make my life easy and if it means i have to use my top of my table saw as a workbench that's what i'm gonna do you know it's it's funny because keith johnson i have some of his old tools and uh you know I, his chop saw he sold it to me because it was like out like i forget what it was like 0.05 of an inch or some crap like that and i'm like i don't even know how to measure that like so it's like perfect for me you know but it's just some people just get crazy precise and the love for the stuff but for me i don't know it's well just you know tool. what that is there's, I've had this, I've been talking to other makers in regards and, you know, talk difference between sculptors and makers and knife makers and, you know, cabinet people and wood people. The, your, the, the, the idea of making something is mm -hmm. really is this physical manifestation of your time, your energy, your technique, and really paying attention and really, mm -hmm. and, and at the end result, you know, you're happy that you were able to be disciplined enough to, you know, make that joint super tight or make the transition mm -hmm. really tight. Yeah. And then you're, you're, you're disappointed when it doesn't work out. And sometimes that kind of like, that kind of manifests itself uh, subconsciously into thinking that you're not good as a person. And it's, yeah. and it's hard. It's super hard. I, it, it's, it's one of the hardest things about making there is the high highs and the low lows. Yeah. But, you know, like people say, though, if you don't have those lows, you can never enjoy the highs, you know. But it, it's it's funny. I, I'll go back to him again. It, just talking to Keith the other night, he's doing a built-in, and he's complaining about the finish, and he was complaining about this, and then this was off. And I haven't seen the finished pictures of it, but I can guarantee you this thing is going to look flawless. It's going to be absolutely top-notch, gorgeous, you know, but he's so critical of himself. And so precise in everything he does that stuff just, it's amazing, you know? But you are too, because I know that one of the things you do, you have a beautiful shop in your basement, you've maximized mm -hmm. every corner, <laughs> and you're involved with Total Boat, who's going to be a sponsor of the, this podcast, and yep. I know that you, you do a lot with CNCs and all that stuff, and you make a lot of these beautiful signs, and there's... Yep spray painting and you yeah. have these like critical moments of like a hair mm -hmm. gets in there or something like that and yeah you have to redo everything and it's yes. this minutia that i just can't get past yeah it's um it all started honestly like so for my real job i'm kind of in the service business it's not making pizzas a lot of people still think it's that but it, that's just like the running joke um but it's like I have to make sure things are right in my day job. And I feel like, so when I'm out, I want stuff to be right for me. But I also feel like I carry it over to when I make something. Like, I don't charge people a little bit of money. Like, it's not, you know, you know, when I started with this, Jimmy was always like, you know, um, 
you know, you're selling art, you're not selling a sign, you know, and it, it, when you look at it like that, it's like a reflection on me. And if I allow that like little defect, I just feel it looks like I didn't care. You know, some wow. people say, oh, it looks handmade, but I just want it to be perfect or as perfect as it can be because it's they're never perfect. You know, they look perfect. And it's funny, I posted a reel on a sign I had done. A, it was a black sign. It said GNX. And at the end, I show the whole process. And in the end, I don't show it at the end. I just show it. So you think it's the end. One person called me out on it. And then he apologized and said, I'm sorry. He saw another one of my signs. And he said, everything you do is beautiful. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be straight with you. You're the only person that caught I never showed it finished. And that's because it had a def- It was had a scratch across the front of it. I So I showed him the picture of it done. And uh, he laughed about it and stuff. And it's funny because the kid was supposed to pick it up here yesterday. And when I was packaging it up, I saw another box. So I'm not doing it over, but I'm going to repolish it and take the mock out. Because I feel like, you know, this kid, he's a young kid, like another Paul Pinto. And a uh, young kid and um, just r- real well put together. And uh, his father collects cars. And, you know, his father's got some nice cars. And I'm just like, you know, his father has these cars that are perfect and it's like for me to give him a sign that he's going to hang on a wall that's less than perfect would just be a shame so you know it's going to get done again and it'll look as perfect as it can look so look at you yeah it's you look at you yeah so thinking about (laughs) tools and thinking about finishes and understanding let's talk about this tv show i want to know oh yeah that's right the tv show show. yeah making funds it's going to be on netflix yeah and it's going to be march 4th yeah, and it's all full of makers. Yeah, and yeah. How yeah. did you? No, you. We, I guess we should start back and how you met Jimmy Duresta. All right. So, well, it goes back that um, so a, a while back Jimmy was doing a show, um, his Making It One Hundred show in Boston, and at the time I was I was having some problems. I had a recent surgery. I wasn't like rehabbing from it that well. And um, it was for my shoulder. And I had the, it was a bicep tear and, the, you know, rotator cuff, everything. So I was laid up for over a year. Oh. And my, yeah, and my son had said, he goes, Dad, you know, you like making things. He says, why don't you go on YouTube? You could find something to watch to pass the time. And I said, yeah, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. So I was checking out a couple of channels. I, I never found Jimmy's channel. I was watching some other people. And it was funny, it was his assistant, David Welder. I had found his, him making stuff, but I always noticed he was in a shop that had Duresta everywhere. So I had looked up Duresta, and it brought me to Jimmy's channel. Hilarious. It, yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy. And so it, it just so happened that weekend he was coming to Boston. So I had written him a letter. I actually wrote Bob Claggett a letter, too. He had answered me as well. But um, Jimmy was like, yeah, I'm coming to Boston. You know, why don't you come to the show? And I wrote back this. Wait, no tickets. you wrote him a letter or you wrote I, him No, email? sorry, email, email. Sorry, I'm old. I'm how old. old are we? Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I put pen to paper <laughs> and uh, I got the her- slate out. And uh, so I sent him an email and he sent me back an uh, email and he said, hey, text me when you're there. I'll get you in. So I had screwed up on the train and I put it. This is just how these events happen. Just so strange. I put on the. I got there early. It was like two hours early. There was nobody there. And if everybody knows Jimmy, he's always super early for everything because he's just crazy. But uh, I texted him, and in the meantime, somebody had asked me what I was doing there. They said you needed a ticket to get in. I says, "Oh, a friend of mine was going to get me in," 
And he said, who's your friend? I said, it's Jimmy Duras. He goes, oh, any friend of Jimmy's come right in. So this guy just lets me in. Wow. You know, it could have been a crazed fan going to kill him. And um, in the meantime, Jimmy had messaged me back. And my phone chimed, and he was kind of standing there. And he's like, oh, hey, you know, what's going on? So we just started talking. And we had a you know, little talk, and there was nobody really else there. So we kind of talked, talked, talked. And it, long, long story short, after the event, he says, oh, everybody's hanging out at this bar room. You want to hang out? I says, I'm not really a drinker. You know, he says, I'm not a drinker either, you know. So he says, oh, I'll come over. So we hung out again. And uh, we were just, you know, yucking it up, having a, a great time like everybody always has with them. And he was going to Somerville the next day to Addison's Asylum, Addison's Asylum with Jacob LaRocca to meet him. And... Um, I said, oh, I, I know my way around Somerville. I grew up there. And he says, well, why don't you meet me? We'll, we'll head over there. So we spent the whole day together. It was great. We went through Somerville, Cambridge, had lunch. There was a couple people in the group, but, you know, things were good. So fast forward, he starts moving his shop, and one of my daughters was going to school in Philly. So I would drive through the city or whatever going down there, and I would stop by his shop, and I was helping him move, and I'd go upstate. And finally, he's just like, you know, instead of heading home, why don't you hang out? And so he just started hanging out more and more. And then it just kind of progressed to, you know, he was traveling a lot at the time. And, hey, why don't you travel with me? And we started just traveling. So it's funny. People didn't know what to make of me or who the hell I was. They didn't know if I was his bodyguard or his, um, you know, what it was. And um, it kind of became a thing. And he referred to me as Derek from Malden after the Howard Stern character. Was it like Harold from Malden or Harry from Malden or some other guy? I forget who it was, but that's how that whole thing There's started. A, really? Yes, there was a guy on Howard Stern. Yeah, I looked it up one time. I never heard of it, but he knew about it. I don't know. I, Hold on. Know, Jimmy's Google like that. the old shit. Jim, I'm telling Jimmy you. Jimmy and I talk about Howard Stern. Yeah. But there's some old Howard Stern stuff that I don't remember. Like I don't remember yeah. anybody from Malden. Well, I'm trying to Google it right, right now. So oh, right now, Howard Stern guest from Malden. Tommy. Tommy, Tommy from, Malden. from Malden. I yeah. don't remember Tommy yeah, from Malden. Yeah, so it's but- Tommy from Malden. So it became Derek from Malden. So, huh. um, yeah, and we just had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, you know, a lot of similar things in our lives and our past and stuff. And it'd be funny, my father had been dead about 30 years, but he'd tell stories about his father. It was just like, it was identical to my father. Like, he always told the story about his father, you know, with jobs, going for the sure thing. And, um, you know, how you, you know, as a city kid, you got a job as a, you know, the trash, the DPW, or you went for the telephone company, the gas company, or something with benefits, you know, you don't want to be a carpenter, you don't want to be an artist, you know. So uh, it was just funny that, um we had a lot of similarities in our lives. And um, I was up his house one time, up upstate, and he had promised Paul, this is going to segue into the show thing, he would promised Paul Jackman he would show up, I think it was Paul's 100,000th YouTube video, like, like followers, for, like it was a celebration type thing that Paul right. Jackman was doing. And he was filming it at YouTube in New York City. So I get a text and... Um, or, or Jimmy gets a text from Paul saying, are you guys coming? Or actually, let me back up. It was from Graz. Now, in the meantime... These are all characters on the show, yes, from the Yeah, sorry. Thank you. So while we were at the Making It 100, he goes, oh, you're from Malden. He goes, there's another guy here from Malden. He introduces me to Graz, who was from Malden. He literally just moved out like uh, from Malden the week prior or two weeks prior. But he lived in the street behind me. Right? Really? So he, yes. He moves to Peabody, 
it, before I give you the other part of the story, while he's in Peabody, he's watching these videos on YouTube and notices this guy that's local, or no, I noticed it, but his t- landlord told him the guy upstairs makes YouTube videos. The guy upstairs or downstairs, whatever it was, was Jackman. So Graz and Jackman lived in the same house together, but didn't know each other. What? Yes, true story. True story. If you go back and look at uh, uh, Paul Jackman's videos when he was in his basement, early, early videos, he would always be hunched over. And if you look at Graz's videos in the beginning, same basement. So so Jackman's landlord, well, Graz's landlord tells him, hey, the guy upstairs makes YouTube videos. The guy downstairs makes YouTube videos. Graz meets him, but Jackman had moved out. In the meantime, I'm watching Jackman because of the Jimmy connection. And I find out, I'm like, that looks like Crane's Beach where Jackman's at. So I email, email Jackman. I go, hey, you from Massachusetts? He goes, I literally just moved to Rhode Island last week. I lived up in Peabody. So the, we had this connection where Graz and Jackman lived at, physically in the same house. Graz lived a street behind me. Okay. So, um, so all that had happened. So anyways, Graz had texted me and said, hey, you guys coming to New York. We said, uh, so I replied back. I says, we're here. We're waiting for you guys. Graz goes, we're supposed to film it in New York City. Me and Jimmy are upstate. So we say, okay, we'll be right down. So we get in the truck. We drive from upstate to downtown and, um, you know, a couple hours. And we get there and we record Jackman's 100,000th celebration video of him making a huge Adirondack chair. And we're in it, and we're kind of joking around. We do a little thing at the end, and that's it. So Jackman takes the picture he took that day of all of us sitting in this big Adirondack chair. And he posts it on Reddit. Some woman reaches out and says, hey, what's with this you know, picture? So he tells her, and she says, that's great, man. I want to do a TV show about you guys. So we thought she was full of shit. I mean, who says that? And we started meeting with this lady, and she started, you know, doing Zoom calls and interviewing us, and they made it, they call it a little sizzle reel, and um, they she showed it to Discovery, and um, they said they loved it, they wanted to shoot a pilot. So go back, I don't know, was it 2018, when we had Maker Camp, there was a lot of buzz up there at the time because the production company was there. We shot it the week of, so it was October, I think, of 2018 or 20. Yeah, it must have been 2018. And um, we shot up a sizzle reel for, it was a pilot for, um, yeah, she did the sizzle reel from like our YouTubes and our Zoom calls. They shot a pilot. Oh, it must have been 2019. No, it was, tw- it was October 2018. Because the first one, wasn't the first one, wasn't the first Maker Camp 2019? 20- no, this was, yes, it was, but I think this was pre, this, the first, first one was very small. I'm pretty sure it was October of, uh, of 2018. Oh. I could be wrong, but it's, so it was in October and, um, that following spring we shot the, uh, pilot and then never heard anything. And that was it. So, um, what was the idea of take me, what is the, so, what was the idea of the So pilot? the whole idea was, it was, um. You know, everybody thinks it was like, um, like it was kind of Jimmy's show. It was kind of Jackman kind of got this whole thing rolling and pulled together. And I think Jimmy was a happy accident, not when he was born. This is for the show. It was like 
you know, oh my God, we got this other big YouTube guy. And then so we had like one of the biggest YouTube makers in Jimmy, one of the smallest YouTube makers in Derek from Alden. And they said, you know, let's see what we can do with it. So it was going to be a show. And now this was kind of the whole problem everybody had with it. It was going to be kind of a show where we just made stuff. But nobody seemed to know how we explain we make stuff. Like, do we hang out with Jimmy? Like, you don't think of it. You think, you know, as a YouTube person, you think, oh, let's just make something. People don't give a shit about just making something. Like, there has to be a story. So it's like, do we hang out at Jimmy's, like, garage? Do we work for Jimmy? Are we, you know, are we locals? Like, how does it all work together? So we shot this pilot where we just kind of made something. And um, it kind of worked. It was a little bit, it was a, a lesson for me. I thought it was a complete failure. And then I saw the edited version of it, and I was like, wow. Like, we, how did they get that video out of that? Like, this was trash, you know? And um, it was amazing to see. It was, like, the first time I've seen something, like, edited like that. And um, I guess, you know, I don't know what the behind the scenes were with Discovery, how it didn't work. But I don't even know if Discovery was interested. But that was, like, the whole talk. It was for Discovery. And then uh, we got contacted by... This guy, after they were told they weren't going to do it, and they were going to pass, and he says, hey, Netflix has your show for whatever reason, and they want to do a show, the show, but, you know, we want to have it a little bit different. We don't think it's going to go this way. So they had, you know, threw ideas out to us, what we thought, and then they came up with some ideas, and then the director, he had some um aha moments of things he thought he wanted to see and honestly we didn't think it was going to work we thought it was kind of stupid this idea but we went with it because he's like you know this is tv and this is how it works like if you guys don't want to do it they're going to do it and they're going to do it without you so we're like all right let's try it you know and um it kept getting pushed off because it was pushed off for a a whole year because of covid and this and that and um yeah, I think it was 2018, Jeff, because it was pushed off the whole year. And so, yeah, I think, it, but regardless. So we start filming the show. And um, honestly, my kids get mad when I say this. It was probably like the most amazing experience of my life, besides being married and the birth of my children. I always got to say that or get in trouble. But um, it was, it was just incredible. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a regular guy, you know, like, um, you know, it just, um, to, to be like thrust into this, it was scary. Like I, I wanted to drop out like the first week, then the first, the second week, I couldn't do it. It was so much work. It was so difficult mentally, physically. It's, it's not, um, it, it, it's something you'd have to experience. I think you've done, you know, things like that. It's not, um, it, it's not like you just show up and you just do things like there's so much behind the scenes, like nothing's left to chance. And um, you have to be like ready to go all day for, you know, 12, 14 hours. And, um, you know, as think time went on, we started to get like a little bit of a groove and uh, it started to be a lot of fun. And uh, honestly, I started to get used to it. You know, I really enjoyed it. But um, it, um, you know, it, it was crazy. You got a question? You, you, my, yeah. How am I doing? I didn't know if, no, you, no, if, it's, if, if I'm following the timeline good. But uh, no, no, it sounds great. I, what I'm wondering is, is so so the idea of the show making fun is yeah that it's at Jimmy's barn. Jimmy's yep. this big, giant, beautiful barn. Yeah, and you and Graz and Jackman and Pat. What's Pat's yep. last yep. name? Yeah, Pat Lap. 
Pat Lapierre, Lapp. yeah, yeah. And you guys are are making something for children, or how does? Yeah, what is so the basically, idea of the, the show? premise of it, um, we don't invent anything for these kids. We make stuff for them that are fun, you know. So we don't make fun of the kids either. Some people were concerned we're making fun of kids. We're making fun out of nothing. But I explain to people. I tell people it's kind of think of like Shark Tank. But for kids, you know, um, oh, that's cool. you know, yeah, we get these kids, they come up with ideas and, you know, some are crazy, some aren't so crazy, some are better than others. And, um, you know, we kind of joke around with the kids and we try to find an idea that something that's feasible and we can do, you know, you of course you get the kids with, you know, rockets on skis and, you know, I guess you could do it, but we don't want to kill anybody, you know. And um, we try to have fun with it. And then, you know, like everything else in TV, there's always a little bit of a twist to it. And um, it's like we try to either supersize it or make it cool or make it, you know, more fun than it should be. And it works. You know, I went into this. I tell you, you know, I I hate to sound like a bootlicker, but when I tell you Jimmy's got to be the most amazing person to work with, it's, it's, it's just amazing. So... I, I don't want to get teared up. Thank God I'm not on TV. Go ahead. No, listen. I'm no, a head I know, hunter. I'm not going to pull a the rest I'm a fucking dude. I know. I'm not going to pull paid. the rest <laughs> on you. But, um, <laughs> I, no. get paid. I get paid. I get people to cry, man. I get a but, bonus. I'm but, a headhunter, you know, dude. I, I've gone from somebody who had like a home shop. It was just a regular guy with you know a wife and children to becoming like a super fan of Jimmy's to become a friend of his to be somebody who travels and hangs out with him, you know, because everybody's Jimmy's friend, you know what I mean? You know, Jimmy Mitchell wants you as friend, but to, you know, spend time with him and his family and then to film a show with him. I mean, it doesn't get much sweeter. It's, a, it is, a, it is amazing. And, and, but I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not that amazing because I mean, you are a very generous and, and, and funny. Yeah, and no, good but person. it's, yeah, but it, it's a, it's amazing for me. It never gets lost on me that, you know, I was always a fan first, you know, and I'm still a huge fan of his. And um, and like I said, you know, it's funny. Somebody was over my house and uh, Jimmy was here a couple months back and uh, we made something. He made a model of it. And my buddy, I thought he was going to take it and smash it. I would have killed him. And he's like, this is stupid. I said, you know what? My buddy made that and he makes a model of like everything he makes and it is the best thing ever. Like every episode, he made a model of what we were making. And I've never done that. And to see it, um, it was unbelievable. And it was like it it helped us so much in every project, you know. And it's funny because I'm making a cabinet for somebody for a dartboard. <laughs> and somebody said, hey, did you make a SketchUp model of that? And I was like, no, I don't know how to. And it screwed up. Because I just kind of tried to wing it, you know, and it was um, it was funny just to to see things. I don't know the show if it shows um, the model making part of it or us using it, but everything started with a model and everything worked like according to the model. And it was just cool to see. But he's just such his process, the way he thinks, the way he like adapts things. You know, he's he's building something now that. I'm not going to mention just because it's something private for a friend of his, but um, I I would have thought about it for a week before I started. He started building this thing, and the materials he used, I'm like, he's nuts. This thing came out so beautiful, and it's just he the way he thinks. He thinks so far outside the box. And Jackman, on the other hand, 
who's like, you know, like a Keith Johnson, like everything's like analyzed, you know, put through the, you know, through the scientific calculator and, and make sure like all the numbers line up and everything. And he spends more time calculating everything, but in the end finishes because he had everything calculated out. You know, so it's like Jimmy starts the race and he's, you know, two blocks ahead, but Jackman like builds the car and drives right past and meets him at the finish line, you know. So it's a really cool dynamic with the two of them, you know, and um it totally different styles. So it's fun to watch, you know, and it's it was it was even more fun to be a part of, you know. I was I was thinking about this show a lot because, you know, I, I we talk to people who are on Forge and Fire and Metal Shop Masters and all these other T V shows and I have yeah. other friends who I were right before COVID, I I had written a show that we were gonna do a sizzle reel and that thing you know yeah. that never materialized yeah i was wondering i would want i wondered one of the reasons why i i seem to think in my mind that it was such a great dynamic is because you all know each other you know mm. you weren't th- it wasn't five people th- you know thrust in because you know we need a metal worker we need a woodworker we need a, yeah. so you're having five people and then creating relationship you guys already had a relationship you know each other yeah, and I, I would I, think that that makes the dynamic similar to your podcast, where all of a sudden the more interesting thing is there's a chemistry in regards to you don't have to build a relationship. You guys already have a relationship, yeah. So it probably makes it a lot more more comfortable. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with so, you know, Jimmy obviously he was like leaps and bounds ahead of everybody, you know, building wise, and then Jackman. Like I said, he's no slouch in his own right. And then there was the three of us. So with me, I'm kind of like good with, um, you know, when somebody tells me to do something, I can do it, you know. And then, you know, going into this, you know, Graz will tell you straight out, like, he's not like the big craftsman type, you know. And if anybody knows him and he's not mad that I'd say this, Graz is kind of on the smaller side, you know, and he, he has been his whole life. And, um, you know, he'll tell you he's always been he's fought back with his wit, you know, and he's right. very quick witted. And, you know, he ran through the same issues I did the first couple of weeks. He wanted out, you know, because it really exposes your weaknesses quick, you know. And, um, you know, but with him, with his wit, he is so quick and so funny, so fast it just picked up there. So it was like, you know, and then, so it was like, so that's where he had like his strong suits, you know? So we needed a guy, we, you know, we had a guy that could work with wood. We had a guy that could work with metal. Now we needed a guy that could work with funny. And that's where he came in. And then with Pat, it it was just funny. It was like, talk about a group of misfits. It was like, you know, Pat wanted to be done with the show. Everybody wanted to be done with it. The only one who didn't want to be done with it, I think, was Jackman, but he never wanted to start it. And then Jimmy was just like, you know, Jimmy, you know. So Pat, where, you know, everybody talks with Pat, and they don't realize he has, he speaks French as his first language. And it's strange because if you talk to him, he speaks perfect English back and forth. But the problem lies when he's not looking at you, and when it's a group, he can't understand and for me, it's hard for me to understand that because he seems like he speaks so well. You know, it's hard to figure out. So he was having a hard time, but he's so funny. Facial expressions, um, body language, it, it, it just, we, we were dying. And he was like, 
you know, I'm dragging the team down. I don't, you know, we're like four episodes in. He wanted out. We're like, hey, you can't leave now, pal. You're like, you're in half the episodes. Like, we need you. And I think he's going to be like the runaway hit of the show. You know, kids are going to love him. He's got big blue eyes. His 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 comedic timing is just unbelievable. Same with Graz. So it's like everybody kind of complimented everybody, you know, and uh, it was nice. You know, I always made sure I was aligned with Jimmy. So, you know, when we broke up into groups, our stuff always got done right and got done on time. But, you know, it was um, it was a little bit everybody, you know, kicked in. You know, we have an episode where uh, Justine Silva's in and she's she's amazing. She was on um, a TV show with Jimmy. I'm not going to even name it. But, um, you know, she she's local to Boston. She's out in California now. But she's amazing. She's just um, very um, like I, I don't know what you you you'd call it like um artistic like a good eye for you know colors and painting and you know detailing stuff you know like like we made stuff look good she made stuff look great you know so it was really like like it sounds so cliche it was like a group effort but it really was a group effort you know it was like you know where jimmy started slacking off from being tired because he's so old Sorry, Jimmy, that is a little dig. Don't but worry. No, like, you know, right. we, no, I'm joking. But we, we would, you know, it's it just everybody pitched in. And just to touch back on when you were saying different artists, I never understood that till I did this show. It's like everybody there was an artist, no matter what side of the camera you were on. It was like these camera people, unbelievable. Like, I, if somebody said to me, like, a camera person was autistic, I wouldn't understand what they were saying until they did the show. Like, these camera guys during their breaks were, like, filming little shorts, like, in the woods and stuff, because they just enjoyed the art of, you know, camera work. And right. uh, it, it just, everybody, the directors, their, their comedy, it just, the whole group, I mean, I don't want to jinx this, but being part of it, obviously, I'm biased, but it was such an amazing thing to do. I hope it's huge because it just felt like it was. And if it's a dud, I don't know. <laughs> I'll just well, be Derek I mean, from Alden. You give your, your you give your best you give your best shot, and I mean, it's just yeah. a question. I mean, I just found out that Metal Shop Masters is not being renewed. I mean, just the yeah. way it is. Yeah, uh, and, and you know how we found out is because the guy who owned the, who's got the set is selling all the tools. You know, it, oh, it was really? like, well, I mean, look, these yeah. things, these yeah, things I heard happen. That. Yeah, you never yeah. know. I mean, here's the good thing. Here's the good thing is it's going to be. You guys have a great following, and it's mm. going to be. I, what I always say about all these shows is it's really, really important and great to show. The civilians or people who, as I refer to as soft-handed people, the the idea of being able to make something, physically manifest something, you know, and it's just so, I love seeing things being made by people and skilled craftspeople and artists and sculptors and metal workers. And I love it when you can see somebody well. That's one of the things I love more than anything when I was a welder was seeing uh seeing jesse james weld like all i I didn't care about motorcycles but i loved seeing the welding i i would think that it would be a difficult show because if you have these projects maybe you don't have an idea the the day-to-day building these things under the scrutiny of the cameras and maybe they're not going right or maybe not going wrong i can imagine it being very difficult yeah yeah it, it was it was like honestly like 
you know, it's funny. I said to the directors, like the first or second meeting we had, you know, we'd have a meeting like every day. And they would be like, you know, one of the guys, Todd, he was like, you know, like it was Mike O'Dear and uh, Todd Cohen. And they just were, were great guys. Amazing to, to work with their friends. And uh, I'm just happy to be able to call them friends now. But um they had like totally different styles. So Todd was like the guy that worried about the details. You know, we're going to be able to do this. We're going to be able to do this. Everything was like, you know, business. And Jimmy was like, yeah, 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 I got it. And finally, I'm like, guys, don't you realize like he's never going to say that's going to be a problem? You know, like that's never going to come out of his mouth. Like you could just be like, we're going to put one of these kids on the moon. And Jimmy would be like, okay. Look at it. And they always, the the very beginning, they go, we want a storyboard. We want this. We have to have it for Netflix. Jimmy's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And they go, why? He goes, because I don't know how I'm doing it. They're like, yeah, but we only have four days to build it and then a day to reveal it. He's like, yeah, it'll be done. And it was like, not trying to be cool. It was just like, that's how he operates. And it would be like, Jimmy, what are we going to do? Like, how how are we going to do this? He'd be like, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. You oh know, my and, God! Um, oh yeah, it's that. I don't know if that's going to come across on camera, but that's how it was shot. Nothing See, was pretty much preconceived. We we got bit in the ass a couple times, but that's how it was done. See, that's what makes this interesting because the the, the trailer makes it seem like it's very formulaic and you know blah blah blah. But no. the, the but I know from watching your stories and understanding and you know talking to you, yeah, that the real story is the pressure of producing this stuff with i always i always when i tv and all that stuff scares the shit out of me because i know when you, as soon as you see guys with cameras and lighting crews and electricians and guys and and all this stuff the meter's running the yeah. meter is running when i did that thing for uh, epicurious and i went yeah. into that space we had seven hours to do the whole thing as soon as i walked on the stage all i could think of is for fuck's sake fader the meter is running as soon as you walk here and we got it done, but it, I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't enjoy it because I felt like the pressure of performance is, is the expectations of performance are there. The camera guy is going to get the shot. The audio guy is going to get the sound right. Everybody's going to do their job. And now it's your job to meet the expectations. And yeah. that's got to be the most exhausting, stressful thing of the whole thing. Yeah, it, it just, it was crazy because it was like all the secrets were locked up in Jimmy's head. And um, I tell you what, we, we do a season two. I don't think they're going to allow it because it was difficult, I feel, for the camera people, like the director of photography, to plan out their day. Like everything's planned out. I mean, this right. was shot with like the most beautiful equipment and... Um, you know, and it would be funny because Jimmy would be doing something and then he'd be like, yeah, guys, don't bother filming this because there's nothing here. And they'd film it for an hour and they'd be like, yeah, you know, it was a waste of time, whatever. And then they would come in in the morning, nine o'clock would start. And, um, you know, Jimmy would have been up all night working on something. They're like, he'd be like, yeah, I caught it up with my GoPro if you want the footage. And that happened a couple of times, you know, and they weren't too happy about it. Were you but, guys working all night long? No, no, Jimmy was. Because it was at his house. He was nuts. Jeez. Yeah. He would just like think like, oh, I want to redo something. And he, you know, he, he would just change it, you know, and that's, that's how he is. You know, my wife knows like when I go up there, like she doesn't call me, I'll call her. Cause it's like, sometimes we're up to like five in the morning 
you know, he he's just nuts if he thinks of something in the middle of the night, you know, be going to bed at one in the morning and be like, you know what, let's go out to the barn and, and work on this. I had an idea, you know, and that's how he was with the show. And I mean, it was like they didn't like it all the time, but I think they kind of got used to like, that's just how it's going to be. I mean, there's so much going on. It, it's I mean, like I said, you've been a part of it, you've seen, but like we filmed, I, I forget how much video it was. I think they were filming it's going to sound like I'm wrong, but I think it was 70 terabytes a week they were filming. And they filmed it like three different ways, not like three different endings, but like at the beginning, they were kind of like, yeah, you know, say whatever you want and, you know, don't don't get too vulgar, but whatever you want. Then halfway through, they I think that's when they kind of thought we're going to go kid heavy with this. And um, they're like, yeah, could you kind of try to keep it a little bit clean? And they cleaned it up in the edit, which I thought was amazing because we weren't, you know, watching what we said or anything at the beginning. And, um, you know, so it's like they weren't sure what style of show they wanted. You know, I think going into season two, they would know exactly what we want and it wouldn't be as much. But it's amazing to see, like, it's just shot in a bunch of little bits. You know, it's, you know, it all flows together like a show, but that's not how it's filmed. You know, it's like a day of talking, a half a day of talking to kids in the morning, an afternoon of just picking up and putting down items, you know, a day of starting prep. And then um, an afternoon of just building with cameras just rolling around and no talking, you know, and then, uh, you know, it's a morning of specialty shots and then, you know, regular work, you know, and everything just gets edited together. So it looks like a seamless, you know, job, you know, but it's just amazing to see the behind the scenes, how it's done, you know, but it comes together like we knew what we were doing, or at least thought we knew what we were doing. Did you you love it? I loved it. It was like, I I loved it so much. And I don't think anybody from my work listens to this, so I don't have to worry. But I mentally had a tough time going back to work. I ended up hurting my back. A lot of people thought I was full of shit when I came back. They think it was just from standing up so much with the show on cement floors. But um, I hurt my back. It was a, it was a convenient uh, injury. But if I didn't hurt my back, I wasn't going back to work. Um, mentally, I, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I, I loved doing it. It was so difficult. It was exhausting. And it sounds like so douchebaggery to say that, you know, cause you hear these actors, oh, it's so tough and all this stuff, but it is, it's very, and I never realized why, because it's like, you know, with your job, you work, you sit down, you have a break, you have a coffee, you bullshit with somebody with this, you're either, you know, you're missing the air quotes acting or you're standing on the side, side quiet, waiting to act. It's not like you don't get to just bullshit and do nothing. You know, it's like you're always either on or ready to be on. And it, it's tiring. It's just, you know, it's long, long days. It's, you know, you're physically <laughs> under a microscope almost, you know. And um, and you're worried about, you know, what you're going to say. I'm going to be judged. And uh, so mentally it was tough. But once we got into it, I loved it. Whereas the point where if I hear a, a season two, I am quitting my job. I am going to be all in and I'm going to be done. It was just, it was so much fun to just shoot a show with Jimmy and the guys. It was like, it was a blast. It was a blast. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a ton of fun, you know, and um, yeah, I loved it. 
That's a, that's a, what a what a great story. I see. I, th- I yeah. think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have such a good relationship with those guys. Yeah, yeah. They they they're good guys, and uh, you know, Pat. I didn't really know that well, just because you know he lives in Canada and like the language thing. But you know, he's got he's probably one of the nicest people you'd ever meet in your life. He's just got a, a huge heart. Um, you know, Graz, same thing. Graz is just such a good guy. He's a funny guy. And it's funny because like we all were connected. Graz's mother, my mother was very sick and uh, she's still sick, but she's in a nursing home now. But before she was, she was like living somewhat on her own. And uh, Graz's mother would spend every Sunday with my mother, keep her company, never knew my mother. Just knew that we needed somebody to be a companion to my mother, and his mother did that for us wow. for years. Yeah, yeah. She just actually just reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, wondering if my mother still needed somebody because my mother been in and out of hospitals, but she's just in a nursing home now, so she doesn't. But you know, so it was like we had this connection, and, and Jackman, you know, Jackman's just such an interesting guy. You know, he's just very makes cool stuff and just has a you know cool way of doing things so it just it was just so much fun i i loved it i i loved it it was just it was it was it was a lot of fun i would say of all the people i've ever talked to who've been on tv shows Mm -hmm. i don't think i've met anyone who loved it as much as you do yeah i loved it and it's not about like being on tv like that i'm kind of nervous about it was just fun i like i said it was you know it it I look back at it, I look back at like where I've come from in life to, you know, being like a fan of Jimmy's, like anybody who's a fan of his, like to meet him's a great thing, but like to, to film something with him, like this is going to be hopefully around, like, I don't know, I don't want to say forever, but like kids and grandchildren and like people could look this up, you know, maybe I don't want that. Maybe this thing's going to look horrible and I'd be horrified, but you know, it's it just like, it's, it's, it, I'm going to be like able to be found, you know, like something I had done. And I just think that's amazing, you know, to think, you know, take me, take me back to a young Derek from Malden. This is an incredible story because (laughs) this is an incredible story because I mean, you know, you say I'm a regular guy and stuff like that. I I mean, when I first met you, I remember saying, I remember saying my grandfather used to say to me, well, be careful with people with beards. They're hiding something. I mean, your beard is this extraordinary thing. It's almost like kind of like, you know, you're like a Boston King Leonidas, you know, it's like this. (laughs) crazy long beard and and i said that to you and you were just like you you have no idea (laughs) take me back to a young derek from malden what was what was it like growing up a young derek from malden wasn't even from malden and that's what's funny i just ran into a bunch of my buddies i was actually from somerville which is next to malden but um but no it's funny i grew up right outside of boston and um you know, literally, you know, five minute walk into Boston and, um, you know, just a, just a regular kid. I was always an overachiever as a kid, smart kid. And, um, you know, but we were poor, but back then in the city, everybody was poor, you know, and it was just the way it was. And, um, it was funny because like I said, you know, Jimmy's father and my father, they sounded very similar. So my father was just a working class stiff that, you know, worked up at Tufts University, which was in Somerville and Medford. You know, people correct me. It's in Somerville, Medford line. And um, part of it's in Somerville. But my father worked up at Tufts for years. 
And, you know, I think my father always dreamed of me of going to Tufts because I was a straight A student and stuff. But I had no interest in school. I just, I did well in school, but it was a struggle for me my whole life. You know, I just, I always had a hard time with it, you know, and um, just the mental part going and stuff. But I wasn't like, I wasn't a popular kid. I was, uh, you know, I played hockey growing up. I was like a hockey kid. I played high school on the high school team. I, um, you know, I, I was the king of my prom. Whoa. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, you know, romantic. But uh, Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah what, yeah. what does the king of the prom do? I don't know. He dances with the queen of the prom. They, vo- they voted for yeah, you to be the yeah, king? Yeah, yeah, they voted. You know, I, maybe it was a joke. I don't know. But That yeah. must have been kind of nice. Yeah. Um, honestly, I was embarrassed on it. I was always a quiet kid. You know, I just, I didn't like the spotlight or anything like that. So it kind of was embarrassing, to be honest huh. with you. But yeah, but looking back, it's funny. I always love to tell my kids that because, you know, nowadays, you know, kids worry about that shit so much. But, um, you know, I always wanted to go to school to be like an architect or something. I wasn't sure. And uh, I remember applying to school and it was like 2600 a semester. My father's like, yeah, we don't have that money. You're going to have to get a job. And I was <laughs> like, oh, that sucks. And, um, you know, starting when I was probably 13 years old, like I said, I was playing hockey. And my father was just like, my father was like a no-nonsense Sicilian. And he was just like, you know, my last name's French, but it's actually been changed. I'm not French. I'm all Italian. And um, it's it was just funny. My father's like, if you want to play hockey, you're going to have to work. You know, so he introduced me to this guy that had like he did carpentry work. So I started working with this guy when I was like 13 years old and I loved it. And I'd work every weekend. I'd work, you know, school vacations, summers, everything. And when I graduated from high school, I went to work with this guy. We built a house up in New Hampshire. And the guy was like, hey, uh, great news. I got a job teaching. I'm like, huh? Like, how are you going to teach him work at the same time? He's like, yeah, I'm giving it up. I'm like, what about me? He's like. I don't know, you're going to have to find a job. Oh. So I was like, wow, that ended really quick, you know? That's so I tried it. <laughs> sad. Yeah, it was horrible. It's funny, I'm still friends with that guy. He retired as a vice principal of the school system in Somerville, you know? He uh, always wanted to become a teacher. But uh, I, um, you know, he had introduced me to, to a lot about like life and just, you know, building and stuff like that. So I had always done it. And, uh, my brother worked for a local utility company, and uh, he said, you know, why don't you come and take a job here for a year, you know, and, and figure out what you want to do. And, you know, it's probably one of the best things I had done um, life-wise because it was a good job that was, um, you know, good pay, good benefits. You know, back then it was like, you know, get a job with benefits and a pension, you know, and stuff like that. And I've been there 33 years. And uh, never left because it was just a nice, steady paycheck and it was nobody was killing themselves. And, uh, you know, it's worked out well. But the inside of me, I've always wanted, you know, more. I've always wanted to, you know, make things and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I I had uh, a daughter when I was I was in a relationship with a girl. I had a daughter when I was like 21, 22 and um, played, you know, the single father thing for a couple of years until I met my wife, you know, and she was like one of the first women that would treat me like a regular guy and not, you know, belittle me or judge me because I had a daughter, you know, and uh, I uh, said, you know, I'm going to marry this girl. And she's like, yeah, my mother said, don't marry guys with baggage, so I can't marry you. 
And I was that's like, what, oh, that's, that's, what that's, that's what your yeah, wife Yeah, my mother-in-law. Now. Yeah, nice woman, huh? Well, but uh, my, my, my wife said, no, I'm going to marry him. And so we got married, and uh, you know, we had three kids together. So I have four children, and um, I have three girls and a boy. My youngest is going to be 20 this year. And, um, you know, we just lived life, and I was working my, my way through life. And um, I uh, ran into a tough patch. I had, like, a small shop at home, and um, I was just, you know, you know, partying a little bit too much, got caught up in all that, and, you know, life got real dark real quick and uh, pretty much, like, lost lost just about everything. You know, I, know. I didn't lose my uh, life, thank God, and I didn't lose my wife, but... Um, almost everything else, you know, and it was, uh, it was like, you know, time to grow up or, you know, I was going to be alone. And, uh, so I kind of got my life together and, uh, just always had a ton of guilt after that, you know, just because it was, it was, it was, went on for about eight or nine years, you know, it was just a really tough time in my life. And that's why, like when I met Jimmy, it was just like so amazing. Cause it was like, I couldn't even walk into my basement shop anymore because it was like I'd given away everything that was down there, you know. And um, to hear he had like a similar thing go on in his life, I was like, wow, man, I'm not like the only asshole out here, you know. So it was just nice to hear. And I think that kind of connection kind of, you know, got me like a little bit positive. And he was just kind of like, man, you can do this, you know. And, um, you know, I looking back now, he fucking tells everybody that. But I thought like he was believing in me, but he did, even though when I didn't believe in myself, you know. And it was great, and um, it just like he just turned my life around, you know. And um, it was like my life had physically been turned around for a long time, but mentally hadn't been right for a long time. And uh, he gave me that confidence. And you know, it's funny with the beard and stuff. I never had a beard. People, I always had like a small goatee, you know, and when I had the shoulder surgery, I couldn't shave. And so I started, I was just like, screw it, I'm just going to let the beard grow. And when I get the shoulder done, it, I'll be able to shave and all this stuff. So it, um, it, you know, it dragged on for a long time. And um, I don't want to name who, because if they ever found out to be pissed, but somebody in my wife's family can figure it out, said, you're not going to keep that beard, are you? And I said, you know what? My wife doesn't care, so until she cares, I'm keeping it, you know? And um, I ended up keeping it, and it grew longer and longer, and the longer it grew, the more it pissed them off, and the more it pissed them off, the more I enjoyed it. So I just kept growing it. And then we shot this pilot, and it got to be like, hey, we love those beards, because Graz kind of did the same thing at the same time. You know, beards were starting to be popular. And, you know, Graz always had short, short hair, and they're like, hey, can you guys keep those beards? It's kind of distinguishing. So I'm like, screw it. I guess I got to keep it now, and it kind of became a thing, you know? And it's funny, because people look at you, and I know people don't mean it when they say, you know, I get a lot of tattoos and stuff like that. And people like they meet you and they say, you know, when I first met you, I was so nervous to meet you. You're such a good guy. And you're kind of like, like, because I had a long beard and stuff. Like, you thought I was like an asshole. Like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like, because it's like, yeah, everybody's, oh, don't judge somebody because of this or that. And it's like, people get real judgy about it. And I'm like, I think it's funny because, you know, I don't know. It's like, if you're nervous, you keep you at bay a little bit, you know. But, uh, you know, it's just a beard, you know. There's not too much food and going on in the side of it, you know. It's just, uh, it is what it is, you know. I but, think um, that, I think the interesting, <laughs> the, the best part 
I mean, they're, I'm, I'm happy to know you. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I, at, I meet a lot of people who find themselves becoming, become feeling their validation, feeling their own inner, inner strength from figuring out things and making things. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that's overwhelmingly important. And it's overwhelmingly important because it gives people a direction and you have this physical object at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. It's, uh, I think like a lot of it too, for me, and I, me and Jimmy talk about this a lot, like people look at Jimmy like working all the time and they're like, you know, oh my God, he's such a workaholic or whatever. And I'm in my shop nonstop. I'm so blessed to have such a great wife. My wife, you know, maybe she can't stand me. I don't know. But she doesn't care. Like, I came down to my shop 8 o'clock this morning. I'll be down here till you know, midnight 1. And, you know, she'll stop in and talk and whatever. You know, but she does her thing. And, and you know, we, we it's our life. And we like it the way it is, you know. But I know for myself, if I don't stay busy, I... Not I don't I don't want it to sound dark like I I I don't have good thoughts you know right. not like bad thoughts or negative thoughts or you know stuff like that but I just have a hard time sitting with myself like I've never been able to sit and watch a movie like my wife would never ask me to watch a movie with her because she knows I would be fidgeting and it's funny because when we started the podcast we used to joke around about you oh Jeff heard this Jeff heard that and it's usually like right now. Yeah, I'm you're twisting a piece of, yeah, I'm twisting a piece of plastic in my hand. I know, you have been the, the whole time. I didn't want to say anything. I know. I, I can't help myself. It's just it's, it's hot. I just I just threw it. But um it's it's just it's it's who I am, you know. I can't I can't ever stop. And it's like it's hard and it's not necessarily a good thing because it's like you're you're running from something else, you know, and um but I feel like if I'm using making things is running from something else instead of, you know, looking in the bottom of a bottle or, or ingesting drugs into my body. It's okay. The hardest thing, the worst feeling I have on a day-to-day basis is if I show up to the shop without a game plan, Mm -hmm. I, it cripples me and I can spiral into depression at a, within, within minutes. If I don't have a very, very specific game plan. And I think that there is something to having that discipline to occupy your time that prevents you from doing things that you don't normally do. Actually, you know what it reminds me of? Um, one of the things that was a crazy part, not that crazy, but the last shop I was in, we were doing uh, ornamental work for buildings. We were doing facades. We were doing a lot of uh, stainless steel that we would wrap columns. And we did a lot of elevator railings. Like if you're in an elevator, sometimes you'll see bars. Yeah. That, like that, that prevent, if you if you come into the elevator with like a, you know, like a rolling cart, it won't smash in the elevator. Yes. We'd make elevator rails and stuff like that. And we were doing a lot of satin finishes on on with this giant stroke sander. Stroke sander is this huge machine. It's like a, imagine a two by 70s a two by 72 belt, but imagine the belts being 25 feet long. 
Yeah. Or more, like 100 yeah. feet long. Yeah. And they're six inches wide, and each belt costs like $200. Mm-hmm. And we would, we would be doing satin finishes on stuff like that. So when I was put on the stroke sander, I would be on the stroke sander for days. Days. Doing yeah. just days from 8 in the morning to 4.35 in the, after, in the evening. And my boss was like, you can't listen to the, you can't listen to your earbuds. You have to pay attention. And then you, you know, what do you do? You know, it's just boring and boring and boring. And then you get into it. And then after a while, you start to think. Then after a while, you start to replay things that happen in your, in your life. And then you start to kind of like slowly, or at least I did, I slowly analyze things that happened in my life. And I started to wonder people's motivations. What was my motivation? What was this person's motivation? And why did this person do that? Why do you think, what was the benefit of doing that? And then my one day, I'm like deep in thought. I'm stroke sanding all this stuff out. And, and my boss kind of like, tur- he would flip the light on and off just because he, I didn't want me to jump. You know, he would yeah. come in and he would say, listen, you got to be real careful on that stroke sander. I say, I know, sir, I'm, you know, I'm being careful, John. Don't worry, I'm being careful. He goes, no, you got to be careful because you're alone with your thoughts. When yeah. you're alone with your thoughts for a long time, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go to a place that you probably weren't prepared to go. Yeah. And I never forgot, I never forgot thinking, how did you, how did you know? And I said, how did you know that? He's like, I, I'm replaying all these traumatic moments in my life. And I'm trying to figure out why it happened or why did this person do this or what was my motivation? What was their motivation? And he says, just listen to me. You, sometimes when you're alone with your thoughts too much, sometimes you'll, you'll go in places you don't want to go. Yeah, I believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, that's kind of you know, where I'm at. I'm a, you know, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. And um, like I... I just um I just feel like if I stay busy I just don't think of what's going on and you know like like I don't it's funny every morning I listen to this um radio station it's a local sports talk radio station and it was yeah. funny when you were talking about um you know the personalities I don't follow sports I don't know about sports and it was tough, you know, working in a garage with, you know, a hundred guys, you know, that's all they talk is sports. And I'm like, I don't understand any of it. And I remember you discussing that about how, um, and we actually talked one time about it uh, when I first started talking with you, like, cause I'd be embarrassed. Like I didn't know, like, even though I played hockey, like I didn't understand like how these sports, the rules and stuff. And I just felt like so um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but just not like able to have a conversation with these guys. Isolated. Like, fit in. Yeah. Felt isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just funny. It was funny to hear you say that. And then I remember Jimmy saying that and I'm like, oh my God, like there's a whole group of us. And I feel like you feel pressured to feel like, you know, you got to be that person. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I listen to this radio station because I enjoy the personalities, you know, yeah. and I, I don't even listen, you know, follow the sports, but I just like them in the morning. But it's like it it just I just stay busy because I just don't like to, you know, think of things. I don't like follow politics. I don't follow what's going on in the world. And, you know, and I just kind of do what I need to do to get through life, you know, and I, I like it that way because it's just nice and simple. You know, it's like I it's funny because I like have all my bills on auto pay 
And every once in a while, I'll get like a bill say, oh, you didn't pay this. So, you know, I, I when we would went away and did the show, I'd been paying a bill that was a couple hundred dollars a month for over a year. And it was paid for. And I ended up getting the money back. But if they didn't give it back to me, I would never would have known. And it's uh, it's the worst business plan that anybody could have. But I literally got a call today. I just started a storage thing. And they're like, oh, we don't know if you missed last month. It's like, no. I said, it must be getting, you know, I must have got the bill, whatever. You know, and I'll, I'll correct it, you know. But it's like, my life is just easier that way. Like, they're not, I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going to lose my car. So everything's just on autopilot. And I'm just here, like, enjoying the ride, you know. And and I feel like as you get older, you know, this past year, you know, um, Aaron, Jimmy's assistant, when he passed, um, that was a big eye opener. Yeah. Like that was a guy that, you know, wasn't the picture of health, but he wasn't walking death and had a, a simple surgery. And for whatever reason, I don't know if we really know yet or if we'll ever know, he died. And it was like, what the fuck? Yeah. We just spent three months with him. Like, it was like, how can this happen? Was he at the show? Yeah, he was a production assistant. Like, so he was there every day Jeez, behind the scenes that. doing things. Yeah. And I had, um, I'll never forget it because I felt so bad because it was funny. You know, Aaron was different if you knew Aaron. And I think every one of Aaron's friends thought Aaron had no friends, so they were his friend, but all along, Aaron had tons of friends, you know? But um, it, it, I was talking to him, texting back and forth with him, because I was going up to Upstate, and I was supposed to get some lockers from him, and um, I said, do you need anything? Because he doesn't have any family, for the most part. I said, I'll bring you some magazines. Nope, I'll bring you this. Nope, Jimmy just brought me this. He brought me my laptop. I was like, okay, let me know if you need anything. That was like 7.20 at night. And I talked to Jimmy that night. And the next morning, I'm talking to Jimmy. He gets beeped to call. I said, all right, call me back. He calls me back. I think he's laughing. And he's crying, telling me that Aaron died last night. And I'm like, I just talked to him. And that, like, that really fucked me up. It was like, how did he die? And it's like, you know, it's not like the first time somebody's ever died in my life. But I think as an adult, it was the first time that showed me that somebody could just die without warning. You yeah. know, and I was like, you know what, man, life is short and I'm not fucking playing this game anymore. I'm sick and tired of waiting for things to get better, things to change. And I'm like, I'm going to just love it and live it. And I don't. You know, and that's why it's like I'm in a weird position with work. You know, I, I, I'll I be okay if I left work. But it's like, you know, I got a couple more years. I kind of need to stay there. But like I said, if this show goes, I'm done. If they say you could barely get by, I am done. Because it's like I work with guys that have nothing else going on. And they just stay. I work with a guy that just died two weeks ago, 54 years old. He retired last October and just died two weeks ago. And I'm like, you know, nobody's guaranteed any time here. And you can't just quit your job because you might die. But I tell you, this guy here is going to do it as soon as he fucking can. Because it just, it, you know, life's just fragile. And it's like, it's, it's shown me, you know, when I first started hanging with Jimmy, you know, things weren't so great for Jimmy. But he showed me, like, you can get by. You know, you can do it. So I, I would say, all, that logic. I would wonder 
if as well with you. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you were in a dark place for a while. Mm-hmm. And to be, to just like come, I, I can imagine that dark place. You would never imagine that you'd be in this position now where you've just finished this no. Netflix show and you have all these wonderful friends and you have you have these things that you're doing outside of the job that you're not thrilled with, that, you, that yeah. you're finding love with in life and you're finally mm-hmm. finding validation. And to all of a sudden start to say, you start seeing people, you know, die left and right. Not left and right. I'm not yeah, trying to be no, joking yeah, about it. But yeah. I mean, it just because, I mean, you're kind of playing, you're kind of playing, you're like in, in the bonus round of like, yeah, you're like the picture of this life that got turned around in this po- positive way. And all of a sudden you're just like, wait a second, there's mortalities around the corner. That's yeah. not fair. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it, it's true because, you know, for a long time, like I, like, wished I was dead because it was like I my wife wouldn't have to deal with me should get all this money from my insurance policy you know it, it, it would everything would be better you know and um and then to kind of get out of that space and then realize you know there is an end to all this that we all going to have to meet one day and we don't know if it's today tomorrow next year and I always look at, you know, my mother who's been sick for years. It's like sometimes at the end, it's not great right up till the end. So as you start to hit your 50s, you're kind of like, I got to start enjoying this, you know, because we're not guaranteed every day here. You know, I don't want to be sitting here at 70 saying, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. And I don't need, you know, uh, trips to Europe and cruises and all that. Me and my wife were very simple people. We tell people we're boring and we like it that way, you know. But cut, what we have, we're happy shit. with. You're not boring. There's nothing boring oh, about you. And P.S. You, you go you go to Europe <laughs> with the fucking guys. That's and you different. That's complain different. about the, the pizza in England. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's, man. Don't, that's, don't that's, pretend that's, like all of a sudden. No, you're like, no, Mr. Come no. On, man. But that's no. But the trips to England. That's just. Uh, good PR for Jimmy. You know? oh, I want right. to, okay. I want to go with him. Okay. No, but honestly, like my wife, we don't, we don't do much, you know, but we don't, we're not the type of people that want to either, you know? And, um, you know, it, it would be nice, you know, to be able to do all that stuff all the time, but you know, we're happy with what we have. And it's like, if this is as good as it got for me, I'd be thrilled, you know, but, um, it's just, um, I don't know. I think as you get older, you start seeing things a little bit differently. You know, I she think must be, she must be so thrilled with your transformation. Oh yeah. Yeah. It must be a relief too. Yeah. Well, it's funny. My wife, she doesn't say much, you know, she's not a quiet person, but she doesn't, she never, she's total opposite of me. Doesn't complain about anything. Always happy. Always sees the best in everything and everybody, you know. But she was always been by my side. She's never, you know, swayed. Never once been like, you know, I'm leaving you, you know. So she's always been here. And I think, you know, we joke around, you know, when I'm a big Netflix star, you know, I'm gonna, you know, get these kids a, you know, a, a nice young mother to to hang around with, you know. But it's like my life without my wife at my side, like if I had any more success would be useless, you know, not to experience it with her. You know, we've talked about wives, you know, privately and stuff. I, you know, without my wife, I, I, nothing's fun. You know, I, I enjoy her company and I enjoy being with her and, uh, you know, so it's, it's, you know, and yeah, she's thrilled, you know, she, she's a very happy woman now, you know, she's happy because you got friends and you're doing positive things and you're, 
You're making yeah. noise down the basement, and <laughs> you're on TV shows. I mean, yeah. it is a rem- it is yeah. very it is we didn't it's go amazing. Into it, but it is, it's it's amazing. remarkable. It's yeah. remarkable that you were able to resurrect yourself. Yeah, it's it's funny you said that because you know Jimmy will tell you I bitch all the time to him, and it's funny this kid uh, he. Um, when I was at like 4,500 followers on Instagram, he was at like 4,600. And he messaged me. I never knew the kid. He said, hey, let's see who can get to 5,000 quicker. I was like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know. So all of a sudden, I started getting these followers. And I beat the kid. And so I was so proud of myself, peacocking and everything. And uh, I started watching his Instagram. And all of a sudden, he's at 7,000, 9,000, 12,000. He's going up. Up, up. He's at like twenty five thousand. So I'm be like Jimmy. I'm like, what is going on here? Jimmy be like, he doesn't have a Netflix show though. He goes, you gotta look at the positive things in your life and stop dwelling on the negative all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then I'd be like, yeah, now he's at fifteen thousand. You know. And it's like I keep going back to that. And it's like I gotta learn to look at the good things in life. You know, because life is good. You know, it's you know. I think it just happens gradually. Sometimes you don't realize unless you look back and reflect on where you came from. But life is good. You know, my life is great. I have healthy kids. You know, me and my wife are reasonably healthy. So it's like life is good. You know, so just try to enjoy it. I I try to tell I you know the whole social media thing and the all of it is. I've been on board from day one, and I've always seen it as a business. I've always seen it as, you know, throw a little bit of personality in there and, and, and don't count, don't, you know. And it was funny because when I was talking to my business partner, Tony, and we were talking about numbers back, you know, we used to talk about numbers all the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, where are you at now? And I said, I don't know, 15,000. And he says, and he would make a joke, he like, talk to me when you're at 20. And I said, I'll be miserable, <laughs> I'll be just as miserable at 20. And that was always the thing, like, it gets to the point where it's like, I always felt like, I'm never satisfied with anything. I'm always going to be miserable. What I like to say is I don't want high highs and low lows. See, I don't know if I could handle your life because the highs are so high and the lows are so low. I like to be right in the middle all the time. Like, I don't want to be too happy. I don't want to be too sad. I just want to keep right in the middle. And I actually was talking to my, uh, we have this great person who works with us now, Allison. She's just terrific. And she's just like, aren't you happy about this and about that? And Tony, my business partner says, he's never happy about anything. Just keep it that way. You don't want me to be too happy. You want me to make, you want me to be like right in the middle. Yeah, well, that's why I always enjoy listening to you because you say I can't think of anything now, but there's so many similarities. Just the way you look at things, like it's in it. Like me and my wife talk about, like she. Yeah, I've never met your wife, but I'm sure she's a you know similar to my wife. Like my wife just knows, like she had to like bring our children up to realize when your father's like spouting off about this, you just ignore it. He says it. He goes away. He comes back. He's in a good mood. We move on, you know? And, like, my wife, like, just be you know, making dinner and, like, uh, it just ignores me. She gives me the uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I go away and then I move on to the next tragedy, you know? And um, she knows not to, like, engage. Like, there's no point in it. It's like I'll move on to the next shiny thing and, and it'll be over, you know? And um, it's just um, it's just who I am. My father used to say, you know, if there was two miserable bitches in this world, Derek, you'd be both of them. You know, and uh, and it's so true. You know, and um, I just uh, I've always been that way. You know, but um, but no, I, I am I am very lucky. You know, it's um, 
you know, it's life's good. It, it really is. I, I really can't complain, even though I like to. I tell you what, I, I, you're talking about wives. My wife has been with me now. We've been together since '95, mm-hmm. and it's it's been a it's been a great time. Yeah, she's been with me with the high highs of the gal when I had galleries. Yeah, she was with me when I had a. St- I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I had this gallery out in 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 uh, San Francisco. It must have been 1996, and they just took all my sculpture, threw it in a box, and sent it back to me. And then I had a, I had a, I didn't know I had a, I had a message from UPS. I had a, I had a bicycle over to the, you know, west side, and there was this huge box. I'm looking, what the fuck is this? It was all my sculptures just thrown into a, thrown into a box. And I call the gallery up, and I'm like, what's going on? And they go, oh, we don't like this work, and you know, you know, they just dressed me down, and it was this miserable. And I had to figure out how to bring all the sculptures back to the house. So mm-hmm. there were all these giant fishing lures. Yeah. And I hung them from the bicycle uh, handlebars. <laughs> so I had five giant fishing lures. Two of them were dragging on the street while I was biking across town with tears in my eyes because this gallerist had said to me, you know, I don't even know why you say you're, you know, you, you don't even shouldn't be called an artist. You should do something else. Turns out the gallerist was a broker and the guy was just a giant piece of shit, but he made me feel so stupid. And they didn't even wrap the sculptures up. And I remember coming home and my wife was just like, I, I finally get the bike into the elevator and I'm bringing it into the house. And she's like, what is going on? I, I had tears running down. They told me I'm a terrible artist and I shouldn't do this. And what am I doing? And I had a bike across town and she just looks at me and she's just like, they're, don't worry about it. Just you, just you just dealt with some bad people. And she was, she's been with me with these moments of like wanting to give it up. Yeah. And there, there, there are also these other moments where when I'm working on sculpture, she won't say anything, won't say a word. And then when she goes to the gallery opening, she just beams. That's the point. Yeah. That's the time where she's just like, I'm, she just looks at me. She's, I'm so proud of you. And there's yeah. something about that. That that something about being with someone who knows you, how low you've been, and yeah. knows how high you've been, and been to be able to address, to just give you the love right when you need it. You know, maybe yeah. you don't, maybe you don't need it when all the time you're you know cooking dinner and you're talking about your fucking Instagram live was stupid because somebody asked you a dumb question. They don't care about that. But when you have these wonderful moments, it's just so great when that that person that you're with just kind of like. He just compliments you and highlights you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was like, probably like the, the best thing, you know, my kids, you know, texting me when the, you know, the show was, you know, released, like announced it was going to be released. You know, I, I got a text from my son that I, I probably couldn't get through reading, but it was just basically saying, dad, you know, I'm so proud of you. You know, you've come so far, you've worked so hard to get here it just I'm I'm so excited for you, you know, and, um, you know, and that's how my wife is, you know, a lot of people always like, oh, you know, how do you stand, you know, he's always in the shop and this, and she's like, you know, and, and I think people think I exaggerate a lot, like I literally worked 75 hours a week, 80 hours a week, I'm talking one time 58 days straight, 
You know, my wife stayed home with the kids, and I did what I had to do to get food on the table. And when I tell you I worked, I missed birthdays. I, You know, I never once would call my wife and say, I'm staying late tonight. I just stayed. I traveled. You know, storms, uh, you know, we get bad weather. out. I'd travel. I'd be gone for two months at a time. And she never once questioned it because she knew it was for our family. It wasn't like I was going out to a party. You know, at one point I was. But for the most part, you know, it was for our family. And she's like, you know, you've earned this. You deserve to to live your dream now. You gave up everything for us, Derek. You know, wow. and it's it's sad. You know, you know, like I tell people, um, you know, my oldest daughter. I have a tough relationship with her. It's it's funny. You know, she kind of got left out a little bit because she was, you know, from another relationship, and uh, you know she looks at things a little bit differently than my other kids do. You know, my kids think I'm, you know, a, a, like a, a like a great provider and she thinks I'm kind of like was an absentee dad which is fine we'll figure that out another time but it's like you know I say you know you don't know the pain of you know pulling onto your street and having your neighbor teach a kid how to ride a bike you know missing those times you know but those were the sacrifices we made so that when my kid fell off the bike my wife was home when my kid ran home crying you know, it was like it wasn't a perfect system, but it worked for us, you know. And so my kids know, like they went without a father for a long time. You know, a lot of their coaches thought my me and my wife were divorced, you know, and we weren't. You know, we would just, I worked, you know, I worked and she raised the kids, you know. And, you know, I give her a lot of credit. My kids all played three sports, you know, each, and uh, she just ran around like a fool taking them places and they got to everything and she was at every game and uh you know i'd catch one here or there but um you know to finally get to this point where you know finally enjoying it and um reaping the benefits of it sometimes i look at it you know too little too late maybe but on the other hand it's like you know we're kind of in a good spot now where i can enjoy my life you know and um i don't know why do you say too little too late well my kids are all grown you know, you can't re-go and, and see your kids, you know, the, 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 the lacrosse game where he broke his jaw. You know, it's I, I miss that. You know, I had to meet them at the hospital, you know. So, you know, does that make me any worse of a father? I don't know. You know, but it's like, you know, just the things you miss over the years. You know, it's um, it's, you know, where I worked, it was like that was the big driver, the overtime, you know. And, um, you know, I... I you know, you you always question everything you've done in your life. Not everything, but, you know, I, I don't know if it was the right way to live, but it's the life we chose at the time, and I can't go back, and I have to stop punishing myself for it and just move forward, you know? But, and, um, but, you, but you have to be able to see how, I mean, incredible this is. Right oh, now. yeah, no, I do. I do. And my kids are amazing kids, every one of them. Every one of them is an overachiever. Every one of them is in great professions. They're all smart kids. So, yeah, everything worked out great and I think you know my wife finally said to me one time and you know she doesn't say a a lot of profound stuff but this was like you know I think I've shared this with you before she said you know being a good parent is like making money nobody ever says they have enough money you know and nobody ever says I was a good enough parent you know there's always you always feel like there's something better you could have done and maybe I beat myself up too much thinking I could have been a better parent or been around or or done more for my kids. But, you know, they've grown up to be good kids. You know, they love me and they, you know, they they 
you know, they're, they're great kids, you know. But there's so, a lot of parents who don't feel that. There are a lot of parents who, who don't go through that mindset. Yeah. There are a yeah, lot of parents who, who, who don't say, well, what could I also I could have done, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think you just always feel you could do more, but, you know, it is what it is. And it's funny because, you know, my son, uh, I only have one boy. He's the youngest. and He's going to be 20, like I said. And a lot of people are like, oh, he must love that. Like, my son has zero interest in any of this. And it kind of used to really rub me the wrong way. But you know what? My love isn't his love. You know what I mean? Just because yeah. I'm passionate about something doesn't mean he has to be. So that's okay. You know, maybe that's why it's funny because uh, uh, Trent Prezel, like, it, when I heard his story, it was like it really just struck me because I was like, Oh, maybe this is hope for my son one day. I'm gonna make sure I leave my toolbox, you know. But um, it just, you know, we had talked a little bit about that. But it's just funny because it's like, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes you wish things were one way and they're not, and you know, I, I get beat up over it sometimes. But you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, you know. I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. Oh boy. I need some. I need some Derek from Malden clarity. Oh boy! What happened? Yeah. No, don't worry. Relax, relax. Uh, this is this is we're in overtime now. <laughs> what happened to your fir- your front finger? My what? Though for your front, your first finger, you have what a you bent mean? first finger. No, I don't. You don't. I don't your fingers so. are straight. Yeah. Do I want the camera on? No, I don't want the camera on. You're telling me that your your fingers are straight. My fingers are straight. I thought you have like one crooked finger. No, you Jimmy and... has a crooked finger. You maybe don't have a crooked maybe... finger? No, maybe me and Jimmy were holding hands and you thought. I don't know. I see you point sometimes. I see you pointing sometimes, and know. there's it's never straight. We're it's always a little crooked. I've never. I I've broken my wrist one time, but I've never broken a finger right. that I'm so, aware of. You know, you win some. You, you know, you, maybe you, I point funny. I sw- maybe you point funny. I, you know, maybe you, maybe I swing at too many pitches. And you know, right. that's, that's, that's that's the other thing too. I I always think it's important to swing at pitches. I thought something's up with that finger. There's a story right. behind that finger. Yeah. There's obviously nothing. So yeah. there you go. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's the next question. Where did the thank you come from? Oh, the thank that's you. That's your is sign a great off. One. Your yeah, biggest yeah. sign off. So is thank you. All that has is credited to Jimmy's brother, John DeResta. And if you don't follow the famous John DeResta, he's a bigger deal than Jimmy DeResta. John, Jimmy's brother, is just, he's great. He's a character. He's unbelievable. I fell in love with him the first time I met him. And uh, we have a lot of laughs when we're together, and even when we talk on the phone. But I I may screw the story up. He'll say, I, you know, story stale or something like that. He'll call me. But I believe it was an uncle they had that they would go to flea markets. Jimmy's father was like notorious for flea markets. And this guy always had to get a deal on something. And um, he would go around the flea market. And if something was $2, he had to get the guy down to a dollar. And whenever he got one of these great scores, he'd go back to their table and like he'd hold it up. And then he'd signal one dollar, thank you. And then he'd just kind of go back on his way again. And when John told that story, we were crying, laughing. And the whole weekend, it was like the one dollar thing, and then the thank you. And it kind of stuck with me. It was like on an Instagram post, and I kept doing it. And it's funny because people say to Jimmy, "Are you trying to steal Derek's thank you?" And so Jimmy's always like, oh, I'm, I'm bringing that back to my family. So every time he says that, I try to throw him under the bus and make it like he's stealing it. But that's a John DeResta original right there. The thank you. 
There you go. That's yeah. very interesting. So what's next? What's next for Derek from Malden? You got the Netflix coming out. You're working on projects. I got you. I'm looking at the, you sent me this beautiful ornament. That's a, a laser cut. Derek is my homeboy. <laughs> what's next for Derek from Malden? I hear you're going to make knives. Um, yeah, I'm going to make some knives. Yeah. I want to, I see, I like making just anything. I don't, like I would never call myself making one particular thing. I just love making different things and trying different. Like I'll watch somebody like you, and I think it's just amazing. And you know, just to backtrack real quick, everybody thinks, "Oh my God, you're so smart! You know how to do this." I always went by the logic. Like if I need to change the brakes on my car, I just get to find the worst car mechanic out there and be better than that guy. And a lot of times that's not difficult to do, you know, and if you can beat that guy, then you're the guy, you know, and I look at like people that make knives and I'm like, if I can just find a shitty knife maker out there and make a knife better than him, I can be a knife maker, you know, but I just like watching people like at a, like a, like a skill or whatever, and just be like, man, that's cool. I want to try that, you know, and I just remember when people were making knives thinking, you know, that's really amazing how they can do it, shape it. And it's like, I want to do that, you know, and then like the sculpting of the handles and the different materials and like, there's so much to it. And then the heat treating, how that all works with different metals. And I find all that stuff interesting. So it's like, I want to do it. Like, I want to make everything. Like, I want to like, um, do like sand molds and cast stuff. And, you know, it's tough because I'm in a basement shop, you know, and most of the stuff I do not here, I shouldn't be doing to begin with, but it's like, you know, it's my house. If I burn it down, that's my business. But I, um, that's just a joke, Malden fire, but, uh, no, but it, honestly, it's like, I just enjoy different things. So that's why it's always like, I'm, I'm trying this. I'm trying that. I'm interested in this. I just got a new laser, a fiber laser. Cause I think that's cool. And I want to mock metal and make metal ornaments and stuff. But what's next for me and what I hope is next for me are two very different things. What I hope is next for me is that I sign a long deal with Netflix. I do eight to ten episodes, eight to ten seasons with this, making fun, and then just ride off into the sunset with my wife, my kids, and eventually my grandchildren. What I think is going to be next for me is I get a long deal from Netflix. No, um, <laughs> no, I'm hoping that this worst case scenario. I'm hoping first off, I want to thank. Everybody that follows me on my channel and supports me on my Patreon, because honestly, I'm not going to name names, but I have more support than people with channels 10 times my size. And that's the one thing I always tell people when they say about how many Instagram followers they have. I may not have the most followers, but percentage-wise, I have the most loyal followers. I have so many friends on my channel, and these people support me, you know, Mentally, you know, with the, their kindness, they support me financially on Patreon. This laser I just got was funded half by my patrons, and that's why they're going to get a gift from me for free. And I give them stuff when I can here and there because I appreciate it so much because it's just amazing me. It, it amazes me. I, I write, what can I send you guys? Oh, no, we don't want nothing. We want to help you. So I just wanted to say that real quick. So it's like I have so much support from those people but um i just hope i can just do whatever the hell i want i'm hoping this year i can leave my job to be honest with you you know i don't think it will happen this year if the very soon as the beginning of next year just because 
financially the way it works out with, you know, work into the end of a year. By time I would decide it would be, you know, the fall and it wouldn't make sense to leave in the fall. But I'm hoping by the end of this year I've decided to leave my job and just do what I love to do. And that's just be in my shop and make stuff. Look at you. Derek from Malden. Yeah. You're you're an inspirational guy. You're an inspirational guy. I know you don't like to think about it, but you really. Yeah, I don't, but thank you. You are because I mean, you, you know, you've, you've, you've figured it out. You know, you've made decisions in your life that were, gave you the ability to do the things that you wanted to do. And that's the hardest part. The hardest part is doing it. The the easiest thing is to talk about it, but you're doing it. Yeah. Somebody told me that one time. Yeah, Jeff Fader told me that. Well, and, I, and he was I, right. I, I gave right. you the invitation to come to the shop. I thought you, you know, when we were maker camp, I wanted you to make a, a bottle opener, but you wouldn't do it. I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna I, I be a, funny with a student of mine. There. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to meet up with you and, and do do that. You know, I want to do it more intimate setting so I can concentrate more. Honestly, I feel funny like performing in front of people like that no i just feel like you know if i screwed it up i felt funny you know i just rather see how it's done the first time but no i i appreciate you saying that about being inspirational because like it's it's even hard for me to say this like for a long time like i wasn't anybody's friend you know so it's nice you know, you so, can cry. I mean, I, no, I'm not it, crying. It's good it's for just my... very emotional because you should be. Emotional. I've come a long way. You, you know? have, and, uh, and it's just, it's just fucked up. You know, like yeah. I was never on social media because it's like I didn't want people to know who I was. You know, and um, now I, I don't have to hide as, as to who I was anymore. You know, I, I don't care anymore because I know who I am. You know, and uh, I just go with that. That's my story, and I'll stick into it. I appreciate the shit out of you, Derek from Alden. Yeah, I appreciate. You I appreciate. Too as well. I appreciate the shit out of you because oh. you're 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 making it happen. You're oh. an inspirational guy because you're showing people that they can do it, well, and they can come from. That, Jeff? Go ahead. Thank you. That's not the. T- we're not, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. We're not ready to hit the again, post. You, you, I had to say a thank you. That's what you oh. say to polite people. Okay, you say okay, thank okay, you. Okay, that okay. was the other thing where that came from. My kids, you could give one of my kids a slap across the face and they'll say thank you because they were always taught whenever somebody gives you something or does something, everybody always says, I get the most polite kids. And my kids are always, thank you, thank you, thank you. It just, that's what we do. You, Look know, you at say you. thank you. Derek from Alden, ladies and gentlemen, you know who he is. He's Derek from Alden. I want you all to follow Derek from Alden on Instagram. Bump his numbers up. We gotta, we gotta show that kid that, that we, we we can make it happen over here. <laughs> that kid, that kid's a little too arrogant. Whoever's racing you, we well, gotta make well, sure. Well, no, it's funny. Is most of my followers I get, honestly, I feel are from you. I me? Look ev- yes, I look through every person who follows me and try to see the similarities, and it always follows. Um, you know, Jeff, Faye, you know, the full blast and, you know, and always knife, always knife guys. Yeah, we, we like talking. We like talking about you. And I know you don't listen to knife talk anymore. We, we like talking about you on knife talk. Just yeah, to let you know. Maybe I'll have to start listening. Craig, Craig likes sure. Craig loves your accent. He loves talking Does about he? you. Oh, he loves talking about you and he loves breaking your balls. I think he likes breaking Chris's balls more, but fine. Whatever. Uh, All right, guys. Stop listening. Listen to me. Derek from Malden is making it happen. I love this guy. Go follow him on Instagram. Go listen to the to the Handmade podcast with with Paul Pinto and Chris Zepp. They're doing great things. They're doing great things. I enjoy their podcast. 
Sometimes their audio drives me crazy, but I love their podcast. I never miss an episode. I never miss an episode. Go follow him. Go, go share his posts. Go watch his new show on Netflix, March 4th. It's called Making Fun with Jimmy DeRest and the Gang. Derek from Alden, thank you so much for coming on and take us away. Thank you. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots, with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.